logically and consciously, I rejected all spirituality for a long time because my upbringing was so traumatic. And that's kind of, that was where my whole association with spirituality was it's like, it's this trauma, it's this way of controlling people. It's, you know, manipulative and just not at all something I was okay with. So I was like, nope, screw it. I'm going hard into science and mm -hmm. that's where I'm going to find my focus. And then realize there's still all of that dogma in science too. And yeah, like, yeah. so it's like, gotta just create my own path, I guess. <laughs> this is Unconditioning, discovering the voice within with Whitney and Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me Cyrene Cray. Cyrene is a mama, an aunt to 15 rescue critters. She's a spiritual mentor and founder of Shadow Animism a practice that's all about connecting with all of yourself so you can connect with all of nature, which developed during and after her recovery from PTSD. Her background is in wildlife biology. She has a master's in biology, and she previously worked as an environmental photojournalist. Cyrene is a friend of mine that I met through a weekly call that we both attend called Rise and Vibe, which is a program developed by Tracy Ann Ferguson, who was on the show a couple episodes ago. And each week, we join together and we celebrate our victories and successes and encourage and support each other. And so Cyrene is such a gentle, uh, introverted spirit like me. And so we kind of have a unique connection, and I'm so excited to share her with you. She's got a lot of wisdom, and she will put you at immediate ease. So here is Cyrene Cray. It's also the solstice, right, today? Mm -hmm. I feel like this is perfect timing. <laughs> it is. To dig into Cyrene. Okay. <laughs> So how have you been? How is your, did you, you have your launch for your program? Yes, it is finished and it totally flopped, which is actually the kind of in a weird way, the best thing that could have happened. <laughs> there was just so much insight from that feeling that I'm not even complaining. It went nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be a theme for you in this uh, topic. It of, is. Of embracing our failures and making them into magic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay so the first question that I usually ask someone on the podcast is when is the first time that you remember in your life realizing that you had an inner voice of your own that wasn't influenced by anyone around you or your environment this is such a difficult question <laughs> <laughs> which I think is part of the reason I love it but um, I think the first time was actually in school in sixth grade. Um, I've always been the weird wildlife girl. <laughs> so, and I was, but I was raised Christian and like everything was, you know, indoors, creature comforts of modern society. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to a Christian school and in our Bible class, they were talking about how special humans were and were the only ones with souls. And course me being me my hand shot up I'm like well well what about our pets like they have souls and they go to heaven too right 
And the teacher was like, nope, just us. We're God's special children. And I was like, no, that's not true. <laughs> and I think that was the moment where I was like, wow, I am so different from everybody else. Just seeing souls in non-humans. And it just like, I just, I knew she was wrong. <laughs> like in my bones, I knew it. And I was like, oh, okay. So this whole nature thing is actually weird. <laughs> and I think that was when I first started to realize just how different my own inner voice really was right did you have pets growing up in your family yeah we did but I was the only one who saw them as family like my other family members saw them as our pets our property you know they're not really people but for me it's like um these are my brothers and sisters what kind of nonsense are you people on about (laughs) (laughs) well that's it sounds like you're a bit of the black sheep in your family then. Yeah, and proud. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you move on from that religious kind of upbringing into more of a science-based venture that you are experiencing now? Oh, uh, so that was, that was a journey. <laughs> um, But it's always like kind of come back to the same core thing for me, like being motivated for myself to do these things for myself and question things and speak up has never really been my thing. But when when you start screwing with the people I care about, which in this case was animals, Mm. I had no problem speaking up and just questioning that and stepping into kind of a different world because I didn't want to be a part of any world that told me that I wasn't going to go to heaven with my pets. Like if I'm not going to see them there, then I don't want to go. (laughs) It's kind of what it boiled down to for me. So I just started, like, I've always been super nerdy about like wildlife biology and everything, but then it kind of brought in the religious element where I knew Christianity was not the faith for me. If this is what I was being told to believe And so I started sort of experimenting with other belief systems and just kind of eventually just creating my own spirituality from nature and science and all these weird things kind of combining together. How was that transition for you within your family? Was it accepted um, as they're very based in Christianity or how did that affect you? So my family was very abusive. So on top of like the, they weren't like strict fundamentalist type family, but I would say they were like borderline fundamentalist. And so I always had the expectation placed on me that I was going to, you know, get married and have babies and yeah, I could go to college and get educated, but it was just to make me a better wife. (laughs) So Mm. they did not really accept this at all, but it was also like, well, they're abusive. I don't really care. I'm fine. Just cutting them out of my life, which is ultimately what I ended up having to do because the abuse never really stopped. It just took a different form when I became an adult, but they were definitely not accepting of it. Wow. Okay. So that takes a lot of courage to just like up and leave your family like that. Um, So like going back to your inner voice, what was guiding you along the way? If you, can you like describe like how you made decisions based on the experiences that you had with your family? My decision-making process has always been very, I think the words I would use would be spontaneous, reckless, and intuitive. (laughs) So I was like, what feels right in the moment? Um, And it's kind of a process. I'm also 
I won't say I'm a slow decision maker. I will make a decision like really early on, but I won't actually follow through until I kind of get myself used to the idea of that being the decision I'm going with. So it was kind of a slow process. It did take a few years to really finally just cut them out. But what ultimately happened was um, they did it again. They screwed with somebody I cared about. Mm. And I was like, well, you know what, you know what, I have a hard time with this for myself. But one thing I know about myself is that the people I love come first. And if you're going to just give them a hard time and do something to them, I have no problem pulling back. And I think that's one of the things that's always been really consistent about like my inner voice is just, it's always been this thing that's been really connected to others. It's just the others have been, you know, like critters and trees and nature. So it's just, I don't know, my inner voice is almost like nature to me, really is kind of how I think about it. So making those decisions, it's not necessarily easy and it takes some time, but it's also like, well, yeah, I'm going to do this eventually. I just need to wrap my brain around it. Right. Did you have any humans in your life that inspired you along the way or, or that you met in a way that helped you to navigate (laughs) (laughs) um did you have anyone of the human species that you could connect with on this level um knowing that you're not alone in your beliefs I really didn't I mean not like that I interacted with because I grew up watching Steve Irwin and um Diane Fossey was a huge role model. I mean, she'd passed before, you know, I was born, but I, you know, watched everything about her and read all the books about her and by her, but I didn't really have anyone in my life that I knew personally that really got me. So no, it kind of just led me to being even more connected to nature and the animals because I didn't have that kind of human element. I see. And so did you have a hard time finding a connection to spirituality after that? Or did you always associate your spirituality with the animal connection? I think on some level, I always associated with kind of that nature animal connection, but like logically and consciously, I rejected all spirituality for a long time because my upbringing was so traumatic. And that's kind of that was where my whole association with spirituality was it's like it's this trauma it's this way of controlling people it's you know manipulative and just not at all something I was okay with so I was like nope screw it I'm going hard into science and that's where I'm gonna find my focus and then realize there's still all of that dogma in science too and yeah, like yeah. so it's like gotta just create my own path I guess <laughs> Right. So you went on to study biology, is that correct? Mm -hmm. And was it something specific within biology that was interesting to you? So my academic path has been a very interesting one. I actually started (laughs) studying history um, with the plans of getting a degree in archaeology. And then as I was going along, I was like, this just isn't impactful enough for me. I want to have a bigger impact in the world. And so I started thinking, well, you know, I love animals. Why don't I just go and study biology and do wildlife biology? Because I could help conservation with that. The thing that had held me back for so long was this belief that I was bad at math and science because 
math and science are for boys is what I was <laughs> taught growing up and girls just aren't good at that. Um, and so that took a lot to challenge, but I realized I love math and science. So <laughs> it made eventually getting um, a degree in biology, like just an easy choice for me. Yeah, I, I had that same issue of being told that I wasn't good at math or science. <laughs> yeah. So I understand that one. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, I want to connect to where you are now with your science and your spirituality combined, because that's kind of an interesting balance, because not a lot of people go along those lines. It's either like most people are on one side or the other. So can you explain your philosophy around that? I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't actually think there is a conflict, at least not with the way I view my spirituality with science. I think science hasn't necessarily caught up with some of the things we can't fully understand or explain, but a lot of the things that, you know, I believe where non-humans have souls, I mean, we can verify scientifically that they are conscious, sentient, aware individuals. Like we have plenty of research to back that up. And that's just like, that's just animism, which is, you know, what I believe. So I'm like, well, that's just a version of animism. So if you just take that to the next level, the spiritual way of speaking about it, then you're just saying they have a soul. But I mean, in effect, the meaning's the same, like what you think happens to that soul after death might be different. But like the fact that they're people and they're not things or objects and they have feelings and, you know, we can connect to them. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, science supports the hell out of that. So we're good <laughs> on that front. So I think for me, there is no conflict. It's just science is a different way of explaining my spirituality and my spirituality is a different way of connecting with science, but they're both kind of in that same mix for me. Right. And so how would you, how would you define animism? Animism is one of those words that is the <laughs> crappiest word out there because it, it means everything and nothing at the same time. Um, I mean, it's kind of an offensive word to some people because it was invented by a bunch of white Christian dudes, you know, colonizers who came in to use it as a way of describing the so-called, you know, primitive belief systems of indigenous people. So it's kind of offensive in that way. But when you actually look at what the word means, and it's really just acknowledging that there's a spirit or a soul or a consciousness, you know, beyond human beings and in animals, plants, some people extend that to like ancestors or even gods. Every single person on this planet is an animist. Like Christians are animists because they believe in a God. Everyone who considers their dog, their baby is an animist. I mean, so it's kind of a ridiculous word, but for me, I think I just, it's the easiest way to describe that, you know, I view life as something beyond humanity. And I think that life is worth connecting to. Yeah, can you describe a time or a situation to kind of explain your connection to the animals and your intuitive side? Was there like a specific scenario that sort of highlights what you feel towards animals and your spirituality? Um, yeah, I mean, so when I was a little kid where we grew up had 
it wasn't totally developed. So we had three acres and there was this nice little um, kind of prairie area behind our house with a creek and some wooded area. And you had to climb up this little trail on one side of the hill and then climb <laughs> down the other side of the hill um, to get to the creek. And I would always go to the top of the hill and there's this big, huge tree there. And I would just go sit under it. And there was this bird that would always be perched there. And I would just sit and talk to him. And it was like this totally natural thing just to sit under this tree and have this conversation with this bird. And, you know, as a little kid, you don't know that's weird. <laughs> right. You just think like, I'm just a kid doing kid things. Um, and I think that kind of sums up like what I ended up bringing into my adulthood. I mean, I definitely tried to shut it down for a long time just because people do tend to think it's weird. <laughs> but I think that kind of sums it up for me where it's not necessarily like this big dramatic spiritual thing. It's really just an everyday, yeah, you sit and have a conversation with somebody sort of thing. And that's just kind of how natural and easy it feels for me. And it took years to develop it to that point. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's just kind of what it is for me. <laughs> yeah you're the natural cinderella talking to <laughs> there you go <laughs> you you mentioned that you had trauma in your childhood growing up and so i feel like this connection with the animals probably helped you along the way oh yeah so much <laughs> and so how were you able to transform your trauma into now helping people transform their trauma? Yeah, that was another long journey. <laughs> but I think, yeah, just this, this connection to nature and animals, like it was actually, I always credit it back to my, my cat baby. She passed away a few years ago, but she was kind of like my stability during all this time when I was doing most of my healing work and really trying to recover from trauma and just kind of having that connection with her and understanding like, you know, maybe humans caused all this pain, but clearly there are people out there that care about me that I can bond with. And it was kind of a unique bond too, because she was feral <laughs> and everyone says you can't get along with feral cats. Mm -hmm. And she was like my best friend for, you know, about half my life. <laughs> and it was just, it just made me question everything. And I think that's kind of what it all came down to is just asking all these questions. Like I was being told, you know, animals didn't have souls. And I knew that was BS. And, you know, I was being told feral cats can't socialize with humans. And I knew that was BS. And it's like, then I was being told, well, you have to live with PTSD forever. And I was like, okay, wait, all these other things are BS. Why can't that be BS too? <laughs> and then just kind of snowballed from there and into fixing my issues and then realizing that was a huge gift that I could give to other people who were also struggling with, you know, their own trauma, whatever that looked like for them. Mm -hmm. Intuitively, are you able to pick up on nature as like a whole collective entity? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I would say kind of, I might have a different view of it than what other people pick on, pick up on, just because I, I know from biology, but also my own personal experiences, nature is really chaotic. Like 
everyone always describes it as like, oh, you know, nature has an order. There's balance in nature. And it's like, wildlife biologists know that's not exactly the whole truth. <laughs> like biology, evolution, nature, life, like this is total chaos and it's great. I mean, that's where like creation comes from and creativity and all these new things. So it's not bad. Like that's where life comes from, but it's kind of just this, this total chaotic mess that is beautiful, but in a lot of ways it's, I don't know, for a human, it's kind of overwhelming to just try to sort anything out. So I usually just like find my own little corner, my own little place. And I'm like, what's, what am I feeling here? What's, you know, this, my backyard, like what's this forest preserve, like what's this river, like, and just try to make those individual connections rather than a big, huge scale. Cause that would just overwhelm me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that humans make it more chaotic? I don't know that humans necessarily make it more chaotic, but it's a different kind of chaos. Mm -hmm. And it's, I feel like uh, the potential there is definitely for a lot of great creative chaos. And then humans, a lot of humans kind of take that and turn it into a destructive kind of chaos, which destruction isn't necessarily bad, but I feel like the way humans do it is not always good. <laughs> Yeah, because I noticed um, even in LA during COVID, um, when everything was shut down for a while, um, no one was driving, the skies were clearer, the birds were chirping so much more vibrantly. And so where do you feel that we are right now as a collective of humans and species of animals together? What is your like instinct and intuitive information about that? I think everyone wants that deeper connection, but the way our societies are structured makes it next to impossible for a lot of people to really get the kind of deep connection that they want. And so you do have to sort of fight through, which I think for a lot of people dealing with poverty and racism and sexism, it's just it maybe next to impossible for the, the lives they're forced into because of our society. But it's one of those things that we, I feel like we all have that, that urge to just push through and kind of get this deeper, more natural connection to the world we live in. And I definitely think it's doable. Um, it's just going to take a lot of restructuring about our society. And I, I think that's like kind of where it comes in for me to kind of where everything is tied together, where I can't be an animal rights activist and an environmentalist if I'm not also a human rights activist and a civil rights activist and pushing for those rights because it is all tied together. Um, but I do think that that desire is there and if we can just push that desire into action in everyone, then yeah, I think the world's gonna be a better place for everyone. <laughs> yeah, a more holistic view of everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you, work with people on shadow work, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Can you explain how that process works a little bit? Yeah, so shadow work is basically all about getting to know your unconscious. So according to some research, <laughs> um, it's estimated that our conscious minds are really only 5% of our total awareness and then around 95% is unconscious. So I kind of think of it like you can't ever exist fully, you know, 100% conscious and you wouldn't want to, that would be exhausting, <laughs> but you can kind of, it's like 
<laughs> it's like when you get up at night to go to the bathroom and you flip the light on just for a second so you can see where you're going but you turn it off because it hurts your eyes. <laughs> and it's kind of like that with shadow work where you're just sort of exposing all of these things about yourself that are living in the shadows and learning about them and understanding them and kind of, you know, maybe pushing a dog toy out of the way so you don't trip over it sort of thing. Um, but it's not, it's not something you're, you're not living from your, well, you are living from your unconscious, but you're not living in your unconscious. You're not doing shadow work all the time to bring everything to the light so it's always in your awareness. You're just switching things around so you can navigate your life easier. Yeah, I feel like our society doesn't really allow us much room to even access those parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So um, curious your opinion about things like psilocybin and ayahuasca and um, more natural things from nature. Like what is your perspective of those kinds of things? Um. I mean, I think they're fine. <laughs> I think <laughs> people are feeling called to them um, as long as they're, you know, it's culturally appropriate. I don't condone cultural appropriation, <laughs> but if you have permission um, from the people whose culture that is, and you have their guidance and support and you're engaging in it safely um, and respectfully, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, I do think it's become a little bit trendy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. I think um, people are kind of using it like they do with a lot of drugs as a quick fix. Um, and I think people can just as easily, you know, well, easily, maybe it's not the right word, but <laughs> can also dive into these parts of themselves through things like shadow work. And it's worth pointing out that every time this comes up, people always tell me like, well, these are natural. So it's okay. Like venom is natural, you guys. Right. <laughs> Getting bit by a snake is a venomous snake is natural, <laughs> but you don't do it. You don't go. Well, some people historically did do it for the same reasons, but in general, it should be avoided um, because it's dangerous. So it doesn't necessarily you know, disconnect with me, but I think a lot of people are like, oh, let me just jump to this thing. It's like, yeah, you might want to take a slightly different path first. Right. And find out that there's a way to get there alternatively without mm -hmm. any other substances. Yeah. But yeah, everyone has their own path, I suppose. They do. <laughs> so you just launched a program. Yeah. Um, so on animal, on connecting with animal spirits through ancestral tradition, um, which again, kind of comes back to the whole cultural appropriation thing where a lot of people just gravitate towards, especially here in the States, you know, Native American tradition, which honestly people don't understand if they're not Native American. So it's, they're kind of getting a very watered down, bastardized version of it anyway. And I really feel like when we tap into kind of that ancestral knowledge in our DNA, it feels better. It, it feels more real. It takes less work and it, it just kind of helps solidify us in ourselves and our spirituality and in nature in a way that is authentic to us because it's actually, you know, in our bones mm -hmm. as opposed to taking it from someone else. Right. Do you have any guidance on how to access that part of ourselves? Um, well, the first thing I would just say is we are always connected to it, whether we realize it or not. So 
Um, one of the things I was guiding people through uh, for my workshop was to pay attention to their whims and just like something you don't even think about as being connected to your heritage. Um, so just as an example, I love gnomes. <laughs> I collect gnomes. I never thought of it as a part of my heritage. Um, and then I realized like the gnomes that I love are called Tomtis and they are from you know, Scandinavian culture. And again, that is just another weird little place that my heritage is popping up for me that I wouldn't even think about. But our heritage does come up in these kind of weird and subtle and fun ways. So just kind of paying attention to it and being like, okay, I like this random weird thing. Does that have anything to do with any culture? Can that tell me anything about my heritage? And just have fun with it. Like this doesn't need to be a big dramatic ordeal. It, it's fun. It's fun to reconnect with your, you know, ancestors in this way and realize like they still live in you. It's just, you know, in your cells instead of maybe necessarily in your memory. Yeah. I, I feel that way about like music because my family is deep roots in Appalachia. And so whenever I hear that, I'm like, Ooh, like this is deep, like mm -hmm. in my bones, like I can feel it. I'm connected to this in some yeah. way. But you're also a big Star Wars fan, right? So <laughs> oh, yes, <I> <laughs> does that does that mean that you have ancestors who are um, <laughs> beyond? I mean, that would be cool. <laughs> ancestors <laughs> from a long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. Um, yeah, no, it's it's funny because actually Star Wars has been a huge influence in like my spiritual journey. And, you know, George Lucas took a lot of his inspiration from Eastern traditions mm -hmm. and like how they kind of connected with, well, the force is based kind of like around chi and, and most cultures have something like that where there's this God or this force or this energy that's kind of connecting all living things. So it's, I think that's kind of what appealed to me about it. Like it's basically just nature, <laughs> like the force is nature. So it's just like this thing that exists and, you know, finding balance in it as much as we can with life and death and chaos and order and all of that. And I was like, oh, this just appeals to me so much. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot about like the contrast of light and dark and mm -hmm. working through that. And so can you talk a little bit about embracing the darkness and using that as a fuel. Yeah, transform. one of the things I had to kind of come to terms with that was very difficult for me was I actually love misery. <laughs> and I mean, not in kind of the, you know, masochistic or sadistic way you think of it, but just like sometimes I just really need to feel that in my body, just to feel bad because it brings that clarity and that awareness. And I feel like there is a difference between just feeling bad without a purpose and you're just feeling like garbage versus feeling bad and like really tuning into that and being like, all right, what do I need to know? What can I gain from this? What can I understand from this? And just letting yourself feel it, but asking those questions alongside of it and just kind of embracing it. And I just sort of realized, you know, as much as we live in a society that's all about chasing happiness like sometimes we do have to chase sadness and fear and hatred and really understand those things on a different level if we're going to allow them to guide us in a healthy way instead of mm -hmm. trying to repress them where they're guiding us in the shadows and we're not even aware that they're there. Right, facing our dragons, mm -hmm. looking them in the eye. 
yeah that's right like a lot of people repress like everything and if you repress everything then you feel nothing yeah <laughs> so there's no guidance system in that way yeah and it's all still gonna exist like it doesn't repressing it doesn't make it go away it's still there you just it's like handing your kid a box of crayons and being like okay go color and then they start coloring on the walls because that's what's available instead of sitting down and coloring with them and giving them a coloring book and being like what do you want to color and then you can kind of direct their creative energy in a way that's not going to destroy your walls yeah kids are great kids are great <laughs> the inner child is very important to maintain because yeah. that's also like your connection to like the animals like you were saying like you mm -hmm. don't feel strangely talking to birds it's only when the adults tell you that you know it's not cool yeah exactly kids kids know a lot more than uh, i think we know as adults <laughs> i know i was i was just in the desert over the weekend and there was this beautiful giant pool mm -hmm. and i was the only one swimming in it a lot of the times so i was like why are adults so boring <laughs> like they're worried about getting their hair wet or like looking you know like not perfect in their baby like just jump in and embrace embrace the water yeah exactly <laughs> so do you work you work with clients one-on-one -on -one? yep one-on-one -on -one courses uh and my membership is kind of my big thing yeah so how would people find you to do that? They can find me through my website, shadowanimism.com, or on Instagram. They can just shoot me a message uh, at shadowanimism. All right. And on the one on one coaching, what would that look like? So it's month by month, and I just support them totally customized in whatever they need related to connecting to nature, shadow work, spiritual growth, um, just so that they can really, I, I really like to focus on giving them specific tools. I don't like just like, here, let me hold your hand through this entire process. I like to be like, here's this tool, explore it, ask me any questions, we can modify it for you in a way that you can use moving forward. But my goal is really to get them not needing me anymore. <laughs> Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible um so whatever that's going to look like for them and it's totally customized to what their goals are what their struggles are and then moving them through whatever's blocking them into whatever growth that they have the potential for oh, that's really lovely <laughs> you're not trying to be salesy i like it. <laughs> i'm bad at sales so that's <laughs> No, it, it means that uh, you're very connected to your own transformation. And so you're invested in everyone else's because we're all part of everything, right? So everyone, everyone being their highest potential is the best for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I get to have that ripple effect of, mm -hmm. you know, helping to facilitate them making that transformation in their own lives so that they can go out and do crazy things in with their families and their communities and the world at large so it's just it's really exciting yeah so speaking of communities and a message to the world i have a question that i ask people to kind of wrap things up if your inner voice had a billboard what would it say to the world <laughs> well i was thinking about this all morning 
And I'm like, the only things I can think of are like semi-sarcastic, but I'm like, okay, this is my billboard. I get to put whatever I want on it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's going to say, hug a cat, go outside and punch a Nazi. <laughs> I think that's what my billboard would say. <laughs> wow, I love that. <laughs> okay, say it again so we can all repeat it. <laughs> Hug a cat. Hug a Go cat. outside. Go outside. Punch a Nazi. Punch a Nazi. All right. <laughs> that sums up Cyrene. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me and sharing all of your wisdom. Thank you. This was so much fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time... Stay tuned in to you.